1: Matt and I have really been focusing on during this whole pandemic the global supply chain issue because it affects yeah. so many companies in so many industries on a global scale. and we, again we still we heard about it again today from target. So huge issue. the New York Federal Reserve Bank is weighing in now and they've got what I'm what they're calling today, the New York Federal. New York Fed Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. That's what we need. I need a picture. I need some numbers. And Dr. Jan Groen joins us here. He is Economic Research Advisor for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Dr. Groen, thanks so much for joining us here. Supply Chain. I'm looking at your graph. Tell me what your index is, what it tries to measure, and what it's telling you.
2: Sure. Uh, good morning, and thank you for having me on. Uh, so what we're launching to, uh, this, this morning is uh, what we've denoted as the Global Supply Chain Pressure Index, or GSCPI. And it's a, it's a single measure of global supply chain pressures, uh, and it's, it's, it can be used to gauge the, uh, the importance of uh, diver- disruptions to global supply chains and how they affect uh, economic conditions and uh, how they, these constraints uh, evolve over time, basically. All right, so I'm looking,
1: for the folks on radio, um, I'm looking at a graph here, and it just kind of shows the standard deviations from the average supply chain time. goes back to 1997. It's usually plus one, minus one. We're up like plus three, four, five. I mean, give us a sense of kind of the, the magnitude of, of the supply chain shock we're experiencing right now.
2: Yeah, so basically what we've seen since 2020 is, Essentially, the pressures has been like, uh, at, at, at the peak, it was like five times as high as the average level uh, over the whole sample, right? So starting from 1997 to to 22. Uh, so before 2020, really, we haven't seen anything even close to that. I mean, what 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 has been closest was uh, what happened during 2011, you know, when we had the uh, Fukushima earthquake that hit a lot of the Japanese uh Supply chains, and then later this that year the the floodings in Thailand, with uh, which uh, had hit a lot of like uh, companies that uh, you know were, were supplying electric components to uh, you know uh, electronic uh, electronic uh, uh, producers and uh, auto producers. So this is like completely unprecedented, uh, and yeah, that's it's it's a, new, a, new, a unique uh, phase in, in, in the global economy.
3: So what is this taking into account exactly? Is this transportation costs? Is this raw input costs? Um, What are we looking at in terms of the contributors to this index?
2: Right. So basically the index summarizes developments in uh, 27 uh, series. And basically there there are two main categories. So global transportation costs. And then uh, regional uh, surveys about the state of manufacturing uh, in, in, uh, in in seven interlinked economies. So in terms of the transportation cost, you know, they're looking. We're looking at uh, you know the BDI for example, which is a measure of just raw good, raw, raw good uh, shipping transportation, and we're also looking at the container uh, shipping rates. And then, in terms of you know the the, the manufacturing data, we, we we really heavily rely on PMI surveys and especially uh, data about you know supply uh, supply delivery times, backlogs, and inventories of uh, manufacturing firms in uh, in in the U.S., in China, in Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, uh, the Euro area, and, and and the UK. So, Dr. Gruen, a lot of
1: Investors, you know, I think as they think about inflation, they want to get a sense of has it peaked, to what extent, and what you know, kind of rate will it decline? What is has your data indicated to you that perhaps uh, the supply chain bottlenecks uh, have peaked?
2: Well, so what the, what the index really shows is that uh, the the peak up to now was kind of reached in December. So then we reached a uh, you know a level of like five times higher disruptions than than the average and between december and basically april uh we've seen a steady decline uh i mean at a moderate pace but quite steady uh but still remained at historically historically high level so it still was about you know less than three three times the the average level what we've seen happening in april is kind of a little bit of a resurgence in disruptions, so pressures went up again on the back of you know the geopolitical tensions in Europe uh, due to the uh, Ukraine-Russia conflict, as well as the the COVID lockdowns in China. So it went back up to just uh, over three times the average levels. So yes, we yes, are speak, but it has, seems to at the moment seems to bottom out and maybe it'll become a little bit worse again. I mean, going forward, this measure is not a forecasting. Uh, measure for for future supply chain pressures. I mean, it's more like where we are now at the moment. Right. But yeah, it will be interesting to see, you know, how, how it will evolve going forward.
4: All
1: right. Good stuff. Very interesting. Dr. Jan Groen, Economic Research Advisor for the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, the New York Fed, uh, releasing today a brand new index that tries to measure the supply chain. It's called the New York Fed Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. Uh, fascinating stuff, because, again, it is an issue that really has come to the fore uh, and made all of us, I think, kind of experts at logistics and supply chain and all that type of stuff. Because, Kriti, we hear about it from all different types of companies.
3: Yeah, we really do. I mean, we're talking about retailers heavily in focus right now, but wasn't this the story for tech just a couple of weeks earlier? I mean, some of these chip shortages that we've been talking about for going on two years now. They are still there. That chip shortage is still there. You hear it in automakers even trying to get their hands on metals. Uh, So this isn't a, a right now story, but I think you made a very apt point. In the 9 o'clock is we've been talking about this for ages. Why is the market still not pricing it in?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And, um, you know, part of it is China and getting those factories open on a consistent basis. And we're starting to hear some news that uh, parts of China are starting to reopen and uh, most notably in the Shanghai region. So maybe that will help things. And we had uh, the head of the L.A. ports on yesterday. He sees the backlog of, of ships off the port coming down. Got gasoline prices at the pump uh, at or near a record high. I think about Matt having to fill up that 23 gallon, I don't know, what is it, Chevy Silverado pickup truck gas tank? That's going to be, you're going to take out a mortgage to do that. All right, let's check in on the consumer here. We've had a lot of retail sales numbers. We've had a lot of. Retailers report quarterly earnings. Uh, a mixed bag here, but inflation is the number one story. Uh, we had earlier uh, President uh, Fed, Chicago Fed President Charles Evans on with Michael McKee talking about the Fed's ability to impact uh, and lower inflation. Let's check in with Jennifer Lee, Senior Economist and Managing Director for BMO Capital Markets. Uh, Jennifer, again, the, the Federal Reserve seems to be laser-focused on inflation. In reality, how much can they impact inflation when some of the inflation we're seeing is just kind of commodity-driven, whether it's gasoline or food prices? How do you think about its ability to impact inflation?
7: Good morning. Um, I think they have a pretty good way of – or pretty uh, strong um, handle, I think, on on what they – or their tools of what they can do to um, to to curb inflation or to bring it back to the 2% uh, uh, target. But it's going to be painful, as Fed Chair Powell has, has said, and, um, you know, it's just going to be using uh, higher rates and they're going to keep going higher. And it's like you just said, they're almost very much laser focused now. It was It's kind of funny, it's like last year it was almost like they were looking for a reason to tighten and now it's almost like they're looking for a reason to stop. You know, they're going to keep going faster and higher and, and they're just going to go beyond neutral before they stop and, and take a break.
3: Jennifer, there's a difference between an outright recession, a contraction of the economy, and a slowdown. And it feels like if you are listening to the market commentary, we've gone very quickly from a deceleration in growth to an outright recession. Is that justified?
7: So this is where it gets a little dicey. Okay, so in, in, in you know your textbook term of recession is two consecutive quarters of, of decline. And we've already had one quarter, on uh, the headline uh, drop in GDP of 1.4% annualized, again, in Q1. And, um, you know, q twos I don't think it's going to be a, a decline, but I mean, it certainly does feel like a recession. But, again, I'm just going to focus now on the first quarter, like what dropped, uh, what caused GDP to slow down. It was all imports, like a huge surge in imports, which speaks to very strong domestic demand. And less or slower inventory accumulation. Businesses are still trying to, you know, stock the shelves, but they're doing it at a slower pace because they can't get enough stuff to stuff to to stock their shelves with. So, you know, again, the headline figure is could suggest that there is recession, but again, I don't think it's the true true definition. Um, and I'm going to point to, you know, the fact that we still had a really solid uh, retail sales figure. Uh, for April, which you guys are all talking about yesterday. Um, and even though it was in nominal terms, you know, in the real terms, it was sort of flat from year ago levels. But the still the fact that consumers are still out there buying, I think, speaks volumes. And the fact that there's still a very strong labor market for now, and that guarantees that, you know, if you have a wage, if sort of if you have a job, then that means you're going to get a steady paycheck, which I think is um, the the key factor to all of this.
3: You mentioned inventories. That's a really key piece I wanted to kind of harp on, in on in target earnings today you heard that one of the costs from uh, or one of the margin pressures was coming not from headcount compensation in their stores but in their distribution centers and if you actually chart this you can do this folks um on the terminal and chart the inventory to sales spread of a lot of these major retailers it's essentially spiking to a 20-year high which i believe is as far as the data goes jennifer i have to ask you if you see this inventory buildup, does it create more reasons for the economy to slow down? The idea being that if you see demand slow down, or even demand increase for that matter, and you have this inventory buildup, there's less incentive to produce more things or even
7: import more things. Does that add to the slowdown? Well, right now, it's um, the fact that you're adding to your inventories, you know, um, you know, from a, on, on a trend basis, I guess, that is actually adding um, to growth, and that's not potentially slowing it down. But you know, of course, you've got, as like you just pointed out, you just have to look at the, uh, the 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 demand side. And so far, there is still, and I'm going to say, there's still a lot of strong demand. There's still a lot of people, a lot of businesses waiting for items to come through. Um, you know, I, I love to look at the ISM surveys, not for the headlines, but for the comments. And for these are the people that are directly working. You know, um, they're 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 on. You know, in, in the factories, and they're the ones who are counting all the widgets that are coming in. And all the comments still point to the fact that they are running low on materials and that which is driving costs higher um and so you know there's still a lot of demand but the interesting thing to all of this is that Businesses are actually turning down orders uh, still because you know it's like it's almost like your money's no good here, right? You, um, uh, your orders are coming in, but sorry, we can't fulfill it at a reasonable time. So you know we, we we can't take your order right now, which is a very weird place to be at right now. But I still think that there is uh, demand out there, and as long as there is demand, the inventory levels, you know, they're just trying to build it up in order to meet that. All
1: right, Jennifer Lee, thank you so much for joining us, giving your thoughts here on these markets, on this Federal Reserve, and on. Inflation that is uh, rife in this economy. Jennifer Lee, Senior Economist and Managing Director for BMO Capital Markets. Looking at the markets here uh, rolling over uh, yet again. We're down about 2% here on the S&P 500, a little more than 2% on uh, NASDAQ. Looking at the 10-year Treasury, uh, there's a bit out there for the 10-year Treasury. Yields are coming back. We have the 10-year yielding 2.93%. We were at about 3% uh, this morning, so yields uh really coming in. Oil, crude oil um, was up a little bit earlier, but the off just slagged off about a half a percent for WTI crude oil, one hundred and let's call it $112 a barrel, still way elevated. <music> Do we have a bottom in this market? I don't think so. Not by today's trading off another 1.8% on the S&P 500. But let's talk to somebody who does this for a living and talks to traders for a living. Barry Metzger, Managing Director and Head of Trading and Education at Charles Schwab, joins us here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio live. Uh, He's in town in the Bloomberg headquarters for a Bloomberg Intelligence Investor Conference today. Barry, thanks so much for joining us here. You know, I think the question that I've started hearing more and more, In the last week or two is are we at a bottom how do i identify a bottom when you talk to your traders when you do your surveys are traders thinking about calling a bottom anytime soon
8: well first of all paul it's great to be here live uh so thanks for having me you know our traders are very vocal and you know when it comes to calling a bottom that's always tough but certainly what we've seen in this recent survey is clients are very bearish they are definitely bearish uh, given the uh, given the events, inflation is absolutely on their mind. I would say issues one, two, and three are inflation, inflation, inflation. And so when you take that into account and we listen to the survey from our clients, you know, that inflation issue is the biggest one. And I would say um, from the data, a third of our clients think inflation is going to stick around for a little bit. but. uh, Excuse me. A third of them think it's going to last until twenty twenty four. So based on that sentiment, that's that could be quite a while. Two thirds thinks it's a little bit more of a shorter term. But um, certainly, our clients are looking what we're calling a Russian bear. Russian bear meaning all the three major indices are down in bear territory by the end of twenty (laughs) twenty two.
3: A Russian bear. A Russian bear tied
8: to Ukraine, of course. Tied to Ukraine. Yes. Um,
3: You know, it's interesting. I. Uh, Cameron Christ, our macro man, strategist, always, he was one of my teachers, he used to tell me, find the historical precedents, and I've been obsessed with the 1962 precedent. Cuban Missile Crisis, the market just slid for nine months straight and didn't recover until the Cuban Missile Crisis was over. So I have to ask, we're pinning a lot of the sell-off on inflation, we're pinning it on supply chain issues, even COVID. The minute the war in Ukraine ends, whenever that might be, is that when we see complete turnaround
8: yeah certainly our clients are very much looking at the geopolitical risk in ukraine so as as i mentioned inflation is number one ukraine is absolutely number two so could you see a bump based on what our clients are saying once that ends and what does that look like? It, it depends, but I would certainly think that would be positive news based on what we're seeing. But a lot more goes into it as well. You know, it is inflation, it is Ukraine, but it is you know obviously the prices that they're seeing. And frankly, the question I get asked often a lot is, okay, if, if I were to hand you ten thousand dollars, what would you do with that? You know, that decision was pretty easy a couple of years ago. You could put in your mega cap stocks and be happy. Now all of a sudden you got to pause. You have to think about it. And our clients are actually looking more towards real estate um oil gold and even crypto as potential other investments besides the typical ones that we've seen
1: yeah it's interesting i mean the we had uh, the chicago fed president charles evans on bloomberg radio and television earlier this morning and you know he was saying as you were saying that the fed is absolutely laser focused on inflation um that kind of goes to the the point they're going to be aggressive here and they've already shown to be aggressive and it kind of begs a question what risk assets can perform well in that type of environment?
8: Yeah, great question. And and in fact, when we looked at the survey, clients did address this. And you know, when the survey was taken, I think most of our clients were thinking twenty five basis point increase was kind of the norm. If we had that survey taken today, they would probably be more at a half or even you know three quarters. So maybe even a a different pump. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to say. I think this speaks to having a diversified portfolio. I think this gets back to some of the basics of having a financial plan, understand your goals. Look, I lead the trading business, but mm-hmm. I'm still a believer in your wealth management principles of having a plan tied to your goals and objectives, having an asset-allocated portfolio. And there's times when you need to ignore the noise. Um, and we've heard that many, many times. And so this, you know, for many investors, I think it is playing a little bit of the long game versus trying to get, you know, swept up in some of these short-term markets, which I think is really, really important.
3: I'm glad that you mentioned short-term markets because you also said the conversation on where you'd spend your $10,000 is really uh, easy two years ago, but not so easy now. So let's put this to you. You have $10,000. You've got a three-month time horizon. Where do you put it?
8: So I'm not going to leave it in, bank, in the bank. I'm not going to leave it in cash. Listen, I, I still go to the the, the uh, philosophy of, you know, if you walk past a store and you see uh, an item that you wanted to buy that was 30 or 40% off, you're going to buy it right away. Like, wow, such a deal. But when, when it's the market, um, for some reason, people are hesitant to take advantage of that. So I would still look for opportunities that are tied to my objectives, do a little dollar cost averaging, maybe not all at once, but... Look at different sectors that I believe in more for the long term, and start buying them on a discount. So that could be, you know, your typical large cap sectors as well. And but I think there are opportunities for alternative investments, like I said earlier. And I do think there's some other opportunities, specifically in REITs, just like our clients are suggesting, that do look opportunistic.
1: You know, you know, this one of the stock stories of the day today, Barry was Target um, reported some uh, numbers with some disappointing guidance, citing the cost inflation uh, impacting their business and their consumers started the day at a hundred billion dollar market cap <laughs> right it's off 25 percent it is rare in my experience to see such a large company very liquidly traded 31 analysts follow the stock widely held by some of the smartest institutional investors what does it tell you about when, when you see the price action in a big cap stock like that today
8: yeah I mean we're, we're seeing this in lots of different places I think this again Goes to the fact you certainly don't want to have all your eggs in one basket because um, you never know what could happen with that basket. I mean, the markets can be unpredictable. I think the important thing, in, in all sincerity, is not to panic and not to make rash decisions. Uh, it's to stick to your fundamental plans and recognize that markets move and markets can move quickly. And it always seems like, man, they fall so much quicker than they rise. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe a good day for those of you investing in that to turn off the screens. That's okay. But uh, take a long view approach versus getting whipsawed by the news on a day-to-day basis. Are you still seeing, I mean, you're Schwab, you've got the, you know, you get the greatest
1: view on individual traders uh, and retail. What are the retail folks doing these days?
8: Yeah, so retail folks are certainly still engaged. And what we see in a lot of our uh, more active traders is. Um, Even though there's more volatility, more unpredictability in the markets, and maybe certain sectors that they hadn't invested in, they're still using this time to stay educated. I think that's really important. In my role, it's trading and education. And education in my opinion has never been more important so let's say the example you said about ten thousand dollars maybe i don't invest it right away maybe i spend more time researching spend more time understanding different strategies that i could be utilizing maybe looking at more risk-defined strategies utilizing options and other areas that potentially can help my portfolio or hedge some risk so I would say, by and and large, our clients are actively staying engaged, utilizing more education, and trying to get more knowledgeable about the markets.
1: All right, Barry, great stuff. Really appreciate you coming into the Bloomberg studio. Barry Metzger, he's Managing Director and Head of Trading and Education at
5: uh, Charles Schwab. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you.
6: Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
1: All right, I'm looking at the DXY index here, the dollar index on a trailing 12-month basis. We started about a year ago down around 90 the index today is one hundred three, spot six. Just a steady, steady move higher for the greenback. Is there a bear case out there for the dollar? Brent Donnelly, president of Spectra Markets, joins us. Brent, I mean, the 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 U.S. dollar has just been marching higher and higher and higher. Is
4: there a bear case for the dollar? Hey, good morning, Paul. Yeah, that's a really interesting thing that's happened. Is The death of the dollar is a popular theme, right? It always is a popular theme ever since I was a kid. It's been a popular theme and yet it's just a theme that doesn't work very well. Um, Currently with two engines of growth, China and Europe are both sputtering and you really see that especially in new orders um, and expectations in Europe. Uh, The dollar is kind of the cleanest dirty shirt right now. People thought that with the swift ban uh, on Russia that that would be some kind of a, a warning sign to other central banks to stay away from, from U.S. assets. Uh, the weaponization of the dollar potentially could have been negative for the dollar, but it hasn't had any impact at all. And in fact, it hasn't even had an impact on gold where people thought that was the obvious trade was if central banks are gonna move away from U.S. assets and they certainly don't want European assets because they banned, they made the ban as well. Then gold seemed like an obvious beneficiary and yet there's been no evidence of central banks buying gold either. So what it comes back to is the US is the most liquid capital market in the world and when people are nervous, even if US equities are underperforming, which they are when people are nervous, they come and buy the dollar.
3: Brent Donnelly, I was like, this name sounds so familiar, and then Paul, I realized I have his book on my bookshelf, Really, The Art of Currency Trading. Well, he's been all over
1: Wall Street trading currencies.
3: (laughs) Yeah, HSBC, Lehman Brothers, Nomura, I mean, uh, totally an expert on the dollar, but anyways, uh, it's very cool to speak to an author I know from my bookshelf. Um, But Brent, I have to ask you about stagflation. That seems to be a word that comes up over and over and over again. Is that an inevitability for the United States or for Europe?
4: Uh, I wouldn't say it's inevitable, um, you know, forecasting is hard. and That's something I say in my book, but I will say that. So stagflation stagflation obviously is stagnation and inflation. I don't think I need to talk about the inflation side. Um, but the concern now is that, okay, first of all, you have Europe and China are both problematic. Like I said, new orders, especially which tends to be the most forward looking is really ugly, uh, especially in Europe. But the thing is now in the U.S., people focus on on lagging data like the unemployment rate. But if you listen to the conference calls and you look at the, the more recent anecdotal stuff, those anecdotes add up to a little bit of concern, even on the labor market. So I wouldn't say that it's recessionary type of concern. But if you look at Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, Twitter, Cameo, Carvana, I mean, I could actually make a longer list than that there's been a lot of either hiring restraint announcements or outright layoffs. And that kind of stuff doesn't show up in the data for a while. So I think people that are relying on a strong U.S. jobs market to make the case that everything's fine are probably a slightly misguided because the, the unemployment rate specifically is a very lagging indicator. And to me, the, the drop in unemployment or the freezes in, un, or the freezes in employment are very reminiscent of 2000 2001 if you remember that era stocks dropped about 80 percent before you saw anything in in the unemployment or initial claims data um, so now you have the disruption and work from home stocks all down around 80 percent, and then the exact same pattern plays out where hiring slows because these tech companies know that the financing is drying up right it's powell is is tightening financial conditions and VC and everyone is feeling that. So anyone that overbuilt like Carvana being an extreme example, but even Amazon being another example, really have to pull back the reins now. Um, And specifically the tech companies that lose a lot of money are not gonna have easy access to free money anymore. So I think that's leading to um, a drop in confidence and you see that in the consumer confidence data Now, much of that's driven by inflation, but now you're starting to see a little bit of concern about employment, too. So I think we're on the front edge of the stagnation part, um, and we really have to monitor the data. And actually, more importantly, I think, monitor the conference calls of of the big names, because you look at Target and Walmart, um, also kind of concerning, right? You're moving out of the tech area and now into the consumer, and that's a little bit worrisome, too. So I would say, People should be worrying about stagflation.
1: All right, Brent. Good stuff. Really appreciate you taking the time, talking to us about this economy, talking to us about the currency markets here, focusing on, again, not just the government information, but... Uh, info and forward forecast, forward looks from a lot of these companies. Brent Donnelly, president of Spectra Markets, he spent uh, many, many years uh, trading currencies across Wall Street a number of firms. So he's got a good feel for here what moves this US dollar relative to other currencies um, and economic winds that push these currencies. Uh, f- you know, from uh, up and down on a global scale. So always love talking to FX uh, people, just kind of market rolling over here, uh, pretty So uh, a lot of folks not liking what they're seeing, not feeling like we've seen a bottom in this market, got some more room to go. Uh, we have this Federal Reserve, of course, raising rates. Uh, and again, a little bit of concern coming out of these retailers over the last three or four days as it relates to kind of the inflation impact on not only their business, but on the consumers. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you?